today you are listening to Fed by Ravens. <laughs> today you are listening. No, I like it. Keep it. I love it. Welcome. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. It's good to see you on day 165 and 166 of reading through the Bible in a year. And we are traveling via the oral tradizione, the oral tradition. We're talking about what we're reading. And where are we today, Matt? Today. Right. Our Old Testament reading for today is 2 Samuel chapters 22 through 24. We are going to finish the book of 2 Samuel today. Is that correct? That is correct. Excellent. So how do you think it ends? Oof. It ends with David. Yeah. So we've gone through First and Second Samuel now. We've watched the, the really... The voyage of Samuel, the last great judge mm-hmm. slash king-ish, enter, bring in the king. Priest. Yeah, he's a <laughs> priest. He brings in the king, David. And so this is establishing um, what the people of Israel kind of always wanted, a king. And, you know, we walked through Saul, who was a failure, mm-hmm. and now David, who's a success, mixed with some failures. And we finally get to the end. And in chapter 22, <clears throat> I think it's just a really beautiful psalm. David was a psalmist. Mm-hmm. The idea is that he sat out in the fields watching his sheep when he was a boy, writing songs. Mm-hmm. He still continues to. Uh, we know the Psalms are his songs. And this is, uh, I think, everything it's summed up really in the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. That David is recalling how God has been his rock, his deliverer, his fortress, has protected him and blessed him through his life because it is wrapping up. I think it's also a full circle poetic way to end mm-hmm. the book. So initially, first and second Samuel were not broken up right. the way we have them now. They were one book. And in the the first Samuel, if you remember, starts off with Hannah's prayer. Yes. And kind of song. Yeah. And then and then it ends with now it's wrapping up with David's song and David's prayer. Yeah. And it's just a really cool way to bookend this story. I like that, yeah. Because <clears throat> I mean, he's praising God now for, um, he's singing praises to his name. Great salvation he brings to mm-hmm. his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. He's remembering the promise mm-hmm. that uh, God's blessing would never leave his throne and his family. He's remembering, <clears throat> and that plays huge, that God has promised to look after his line. Uh, regardless of their disobedience and craziness, but um, he's just recalling like how the Lord has all the good things, including even foreigners, kind of bowing to him, and mm-hmm. like when he puts his head down to work or to fight or whatever, God has richly blessed it. And I, so I think it's a wonderful psalm, and it's something that we can identify to um, under the reign of Christ. Yes. So then, chapter twenty-three goes into David's last words. And um, again, he almost, it's like more of a psalm. Yes, and he's, he's basically reiterating that God has made a covenant with his family mm-hmm. that a king will be from the line of David forever. And then uh, he talks about his mighty men. The author then writes about David's entourage. Yes. So David as a warrior, picture him as a little 16-year-old bear slayer mm-hmm. and then he kills Goliath which <clears throat> starts his whole life he's the Goliath mm-hmm. killer yep and then he becomes the king and um, and so he's surrounded by valiant warriors basically right. the most elite 
soldiers. And yeah. so the author just kind of gives it. I think it's fun for us because you just know there's so many so more stories here. Right. But so he lists a bunch of guys who did some amazing feats. So um, it is kind of loosely broken down into he had his elite three. So mm-hmm. there's the three. And then there was the 30 right. of the elite. And they were not of the same status as of the three, but they were still like 30 of the best guys. What do the three do? Like they're crazy stories, right? Yeah. So, the, I mean, every time I read these, I go, I want more. Right. <laughs> but they're not the king and they're not as important. Yeah, we're, we're looking at the king story here. But yeah. So uh, you have... Joesheb Bashabeth. Good. Uh, he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. See, these so, are the stories you talk about around the fire. Yeah. So, oh, do you remember the one time that JB, that's yeah. what I'm going to call him, JB? JB. Killed 800 dudes with one spear in one battle? That guy. Man. What, what a guy. What a guy. And then you have... Uh, uh, you have Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Yep. You love that guy. Um, he stood with David against the Philistines where all the men of Israel broke the line. Like, they broke ranks and ran, and it was just David and Eleazar standing together, and they fought back the Philistines by and, themselves. And then next to him was who I like to call Shama Lama Ding Dong. Wow. Shama, the son of Agi. Yeah. The Herite. Now, this is a great story. The Philistines gathered together and there, um, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and mm-hmm. the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand and defended it and struck down the Philistines. I just love that he's the old lentil story. Yeah. It's like, I'm not leaving this field of lentils to the Philistines. Yeah. And uh, then there's the 30. So you got these great, like, valiant warriors. They're known as guys who mm-hmm. just will single-handedly take on everybody. And then you got the 30, and they have great stories about... I mean, we could, we don't have to say all of them, but what's I mean, your favorite one? So, I mean, the next one is actually pretty epic. Like, uh, David is, like, in a stronghold. Where are we going to read this again? This is in, like, Chronicles? Maybe. It's somewhere where David says, I'm thirsty, go get me something. Some, yeah. it, it's listed somewhere. Yeah, where David's, like... He's right outside of Bethlehem. The Philistines have Bethlehem um, captured at this point. And he's like, I really want a drink of water from that from the well in Bethlehem. Right. And he's just saying that out loud. He doesn't really... And so his three mighty men that we just talked about are like, okay. And they go, break the Philistine lines, draw water from the well in the middle of the camp, and then run back to David and give him a cup of water. Right. And like, here you go. Uh, that water you wanted, we got it. And then David's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of these are uh, these stories are in like First Chronicles. Okay. So that's kind of the so first King, first and second Kings, first mm-hmm. and second Chronicles, they will talk about all this stuff. But yeah, and then everyone seems to like the one too about the guy um, Benaniah, whatever, goes mm-hmm. into a pit uh, on a snowy day and mm-hmm. destroys a lion. Anyway, these guys are epic. And uh, the interesting thing, though, about it is you have uh, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30, and he lists a bunch of names. And Abishai. So you got a bunch of names. Like, David was surrounded by elite warriors because he himself was an Mm -hmm. elite warrior. I mean, he killed his 10,000s, right? But the one thing that Matt and I, we we found interesting, was Joab is not listed. 
in the in these thirty. In these thirty, so Joab, who's been his faithful general, and obviously like the leader to become a leader over these guys, you mm-hmm. got to be one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And so what what's not being said here is what we're picking up on. So this is where the oral tradition we mm-hmm. sit around and we get to kind of have fun and go. I think David is annoyed with Joab. Yeah. He, and everybody knows he is. Mm-hmm. So at the end of David's life, Joab is like a necessary partner. Right. But he's not liked. And it's because Joab has killed three very important people to David. Like yes. right when David's making a move that's deeper than and requires faith, but it's a little bit deeper than just pure strategy, mm-hmm. Joab gets in the way and does like kind of the meathead thing to do. Yeah, I'm just going to kill these guys cuz Right, like oh, he's your enemy. He's the the leader of, of I'm our enemy. I'm protecting you, David, from yeah. yourself. And so I think David's annoyed like you would have been an elite guy, Joab, but you you just screwed up too many of my plans. But you were so faithful and so great on so many more. I mm-hmm. think you only screwed up 3, but sometimes it only takes 3. Okay, so Yeah, and he did kill those guys in cold blood. All 3. Abner, Amasa, and Absalom, he killed all of them in cold blood. And David doesn't like to kill in cold blood like no. that. I mean, he likes to have respect for the offices. And, you mm-hmm. know, he didn't kill Saul that way. Even though, and even Uriah, the guy that David killed, he used the hands of the Ammonite, like yeah. Amorites to do it. So, not cool, Joab. And yeah. so you kind of see that reflected here. But that's the fun part of David's life. That's like the happy part. We end Second Samuel on a really tough note. It is Chapter 24 is very interesting, but I think it's very telling. And I think it, it, it's telling of what happens when you get some power. Mm-hmm. It, that it's never enough. So what happens is it says the Lord, uh, basically David was allowed to be incited yeah. by, the, by the devil. Yeah, and so this, this story is retold in Chronicles. That's right. And they get even more specific about Satan. Okay. Satan incited David. In this one, um, it's implied. Yes. So he basically tempts him when you are in comfort or in power to continue to take more comfort from your power. So Mm -hmm. a thing, a king, the the right that kings had to do was to count their bank. Like, let's see how much money we have in the bank. And Mm -hmm. people are money. So let's take a census to see uh, of warriors, really. How strong are we? Mm -hmm. And then we can put our faith in those numbers which is our crucial problem in Amer- as Americans always we find faith we put our faith in bank accounts or in power that we feel we have and mm-hmm. so David does this and everyone around him is like why are you doing this don't do it even Joab says Joab is the first one to be like David no he's like why does this delight you do not do this and so David spent the next nine and a half months or so like basically a year counting and figures out oh we have like 800,000 warriors or in, in Exodus, or in, um, yeah, in the Exodus, Moses counted everyone 20 and older, mm-hmm. but God was allowing that. So it's not mm-hmm. just bad to take a census, but it's bad to find your strength in the census. Yes. And that's what is alluded to. That's mm-hmm. what's happening here. And so he has 800,000 in Israel, 500,000 in Judah. He's feeling pretty good about it. And then after... And then his heart this, doesn't sit right. Yeah, this is where David, though... His heart really is for God. Yeah. Because he says David's heart struck him after he numbered the people. 
And David goes to the Lord and says, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Yeah, and so you think, we would like to think, oh, it's over. Mm -hmm. Oh, he asked for forgiveness. But see, we're coming at it through the lens of Jesus Christ, who actually has paid for sin. So David is the king. He Mm -hmm. is the... Their faith is that Jesus Christ is coming, Mm -hmm. and so they need a faithful king, and he has been unfaithful. Yes. He's uh, slipped into thinking and acting like a secular worldly king would Mm -hmm. and that he is it he is the god and so god gives him three choices very interesting yeah yeah i don't i don't fully understand it but he says you can have famine for three years Mm -hmm. david's like been there done that Mm -hmm. you could uh, be on the run from an enemy for three months been there done that Mm -hmm. yeah and so david's older he's probably 70 something Mm -hmm. now you know um or you can have have it quick, three days of pestilence where I just wipe out. People are going to die from sickness, like mm-hmm. Black Plague or something. Mm-hmm. What do you want? Yeah, and I, David's response is, uh, let me fall into the hand of the Lord right. and not into the hands of men. Right. So let the Lord do what he wants. But couldn't that be famine too? But I guess he, so he chooses. He's, he, he doesn't, he asks God to choose. That's what I always thought that he chose the pestilence. Yeah, you're but right. But he just says, let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. And so the Lord then chooses to send the pestilence okay. on Israel. Because I bet it's somewhere else too, this story. Is I think it is. First it is. Chronicles? It is. And they might give it from a different yeah, angle. But from this angle, it's, it's very. He is. I always thought he chose it because he figured, I can also ask the Lord to let up, and it's the quickest. Like, I don't mm-hmm. need three years. I don't want three months. Well, he does say, for his mercy is great. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy yeah. is great. And all three are going to affect the people. Because mm-hmm. at first I thought, well, if he's just running away, it affects him. He's being no. selfish. No, because then they don't have a king. Now they're susceptible. Yeah. And, and if he's running, he's running from someone that was big enough and scary enough to... Yeah chase him out of Jerusalem and with all his valiant men we know they're pretty bad guys so he says do do this and uh and then the last part of it is so so the Lord sends an angel I know basically an angel of death that runs through the land and kills 70,000 men so again it's kind of reflecting his sin where his sin is I let me take comfort in the amount of fighting men I have so yeah. God's like, no, you can't take comfort in that because in three days you can lose them all. Right. To so don't not take comfort in that. To something you can't fight, like mm-hmm. the Black Plague or yeah. an angel of death, which is interesting, though. It makes me think of uh, Exodus. There's an angel of death mm-hmm. that we're saved from. Mm-hmm. So when we break from God, we're on our own, and now we're, we're subject to any old angel of death that sweeps through. It's like, mm-hmm. be with the Lord. Trust me for everything good in your life. So hard for us, though. So then there is a point, though, where the Lord, it says, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough, now stay your hand. So David spoke to the Lord, right? This is the good thing about David. He mm-hmm. keeps going back to God. But he saw the angel. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So like yeah. he's like, hey, <laughs> I know you're an angel. I know you're you're." not coming here to bring the message of life, but Mm -hmm. the message of death from God. Can we stop? Mm -hmm. But he immediately takes responsibility. I have sinned. I have done wickedly. 
but these sheep, what have they done? So I, I just love, like, you see, a, again, a little incipient heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the heart of Jesus. I, what have my sheep done? Why are they being punished? Well, you're being punished because you represent them and you've sinned. So your sin is their sin. Mm-hmm. And he's like, have mercy. Please, Lord, let your hand not be against them. And, and God hears him, right? Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, 70,000 sounds awful, mm-hmm. let's just be honest. Yeah. But it's nothing compared to, I mean, we just counted, and that's 70,000. What's 70,000 of... Um, 1,300,000? Yeah. What's the percentage on that? That's not even a... I don't know. It's not even a tithe. I don't have my calculator. Okay. I thought your brain was a calculator. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's less than a tithe. It's like, what, 5%? So there you go. I like that. It sounds good. But, so, and when you put it like that, it's like, okay. Still, awful. But, yeah. But so then David then does what David does, which is he understands the sacrificial system. Well, like he already understands that something has to pay mm-hmm. for these wrong things, have mercy, and then I offer up sacrifice to you, Lord. So God actually has his prophet Gad go to David and tell him. So God actually tells him to raise the altar to the Lord yeah. on on the spot that angel that David saw the angel. Yeah. And so it was on someone else's property on the threshing floor. Aruna. Yeah, and so David goes to him. To Aruna. Yeah, and says, I want to buy this plot of land from you. And Aruna's like, dude, I'll just give it to you. You're the king. How yeah. amazing. David's smart. And and also he understands, like, I can't sacrifice something that hasn't cost me I, anything. He literally says that. Yeah. It's it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. Yes. That's, that's deep, that's man. That's huge. That's profound. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm always looking for ways to serve the Lord mm-hmm. without any cost. Mm-hmm. And Let he, that sink in for I a mean, second. he's definitely learned from Bathsheba. Yeah. Because like, that was like the whole thing. was He was sacrificing something. And so God gives yeah. up his son. It costs him his son. Mm-hmm. The sacrifice. And so we, who will sacrifice that? Mm-hmm. Jesus will. So he builds this altar. And... Uh, the Lord accepts the op- the offering, and the important part is that this altar is on the spot of the future temple. Oh, that's what's so cool! So there it this, is. This is r- that is cool. Yeah. So the future temple is established. Is established, yeah. And this is the place where sacrifice, where one will cover the sins of many, where also the blessing of one will bless the many. Mm-hmm. So David as a forerunner to that, but be very, uh, it's very clear, obsession with numbers and statistical strength does not belong in the matters of faith. So whatever whatever you're obsessed with today in your bank account or your future, and you think it's in your own strength, just take a deep breath and ask the Lord to heal you of that, because that's not going to give you life. That's Mm -hmm. not the source of life. Um, That's really cool. All right. So we just finished Second Samuel. Samuel. Goodbye, Second Samuel. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, Second Samuel. Maybe we'll see you in a year. Who knows if we do this again? Just made that up. No lessons. Cool. All right. Let's move on to our New Testament reading for the day. Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 9 through chapter 10, verse 23. This should be a little heavy metal today. 
Meet Paul. I meet Saul, right? Yeah. Saul was a bad guy. Saul was a bad guy. Chapter 9. <laughs> I mean, Saul's a bad dude. Yeah, so the last time we saw... Last time we saw Saul. Saw Saul by the seashore? Yes. He was Last time we saw Saul, Saul by the he was stoning Stephen. Oh man, that's so great! <laughs> Last time we saw so Saul, Saul by the seashore stoning Stephen. Stephen. Last time we saw Saul by the seashore stoning. Okay. okay. So chapter nine, the conversion of Saul. What? Yeah. It begins like every great story. So, Saul is finding his way as a young man trying to move up the ladders, and he's like, "I'll be the most zealous of all. Let me kill these people of the way. These people. Mm-hmm. These Christians." And so he got a letter of recommendation from someone in power, and he's uh, able to go into, he's going to Damascus yeah. to arrest Christians. So like, I realized what this says is they don't really record who he's killed. They've said that he has put people in jail, mm-hmm. and then from there they get executed. Yes. So it is like he's responsible for ruining people's lives mm-hmm. who trust in Jesus. Yes. And then something happens. Yes, so he is on his way. He is fully being the ravenous wolf of Benjamin, uh, devouring the church. Yeah. Oh, and this is really the first persecute, the first mm-hmm. wave of persecution, yeah. starting with Stephen. Yes. And Saul is at the he- tip he of the spear. Is, he is the tip of the spear. Tip on of this the spear, one. so to say. Um, and <sighs> as he's happens. on the road to Damascus, a light from heaven flashes around him. And he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So amazing. I mean, so many things. There's light. He falls to the ground. Yes. Calls him his name twice, Saul, Saul. Mm-hmm. But Jesus aligns himself. The church is me. You are hurting the church. You're hurting yes. me. I like that. Yes. And, he's, and he says, uh, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now, I do see this again mm-hmm. in a very, uh, in one of the ways, is it's a playing out of the roles of Judah and Benjamin once again. Interesting. So it's How? the rivalry of Saul and David. Okay. Saul is persecuting David oh, from Judah. And now you have Saul... Um, in the New Testament, who's from Benjamin, and he's persecuting Jesus, who's from the line of Judah, and so and then Jesus though, as as a representative of Judah, is restoring um, Benjamin, which if we go back even further is what Judah does yeah. um, for Benjamin. So Jesus is restoring mm-hmm. Benjamin through Saul. Yes. Yeah. Man, and Benjamin, they are ravenous wolves. Mm-hmm. That tribe is up for the dirty work. Yes. And so, so we just see it yet again, another restoration, another pattern being played out, but now it's being healed and fixed through Jesus. And uh, yeah. so we have this amazing event. And it's, what's interesting is the men who were traveling with him were uh, actually heard the voice mm-hmm. of Jesus, but they didn't see anything. Right. I mean, that happened with Jesus a few times where mm-hmm. they hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Some people heard it as thunder. Other people heard his voice. Yeah, so they hear it. Yeah. And, and then I just like how the Holy Spirit now is being interwoven mm-hmm. into all these stories. So like by the power of the Spirit, really, he's blind. Yes. He's made blind. 
and um, and these guys with him just help lead him back. Like it's almost like they are going to do for the first thing that happens to Saul is he has to be led until his eyes are open, and that's who he's going to be for countless generations now. Mm-hmm. Like he is leading so many people who are blind into mm-hmm. sight through proclaiming the word of Christ. Yes. You know? And so he's in that position, and then the Lord has to start orchestrating, and we see this happen throughout Acts. Like God is preparing someone to receive while he's preparing someone to go. Yeah, it's very interesting. There's a lot of coordination that God is doing. I do want to note that he also... He was in the dark. He was blind for three days, yeah. and he neither ate nor drank. And again, yeah. it's like some kind of cool parallel of being identifying with the death, death of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. very interesting. Um, but there's a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Yeah, uh, not the Ananias who was not the dead one. Yeah, <laughs> he's very much alive yeah. and full of the Spirit. And the Lord actually tells him uh, to go find a man named Saul, and uh, restore his vision to I mean, him. So, if this is the only thing you did good in your life, like, you're just this Christian guy trying you're to... only a big moment. Like, I'm trying to think about it. Like, let's say Ananias is a... He's just a solid guy. He's working hard. He wants to know that he's serving Jesus. And this is the one thing that happens. It's still huge. Yeah. He's like the reception blanket for one of the greatest... Uh, not greatest apostle, but apostle with the biggest influence mm-hmm. for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Things you can't even imagine, right? Mm-hmm. So Ananias will never know. I mean, he's in heaven now, so he knows. But it's just so funny. Like, he's thinking, this is the worst job ever. Yeah. Like, I have to receive the guy who's been sent to, to essentially me. kill me, separate yeah. me from my life. Yes. Uh, and that's why Ananias, Ananias even says, um, all I've heard about is the evil <laughs> he's done he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name and then so he has to listen to the Lord and God says something very interesting about mm-hmm. Paul who's Saul now but, or I guess he'll, his name will be changed he says uh, he's a chosen instrument to carry the, the word before Gentiles and mm-hmm. kings and children of Israel so that's like the three mm-hmm. groups basically on earth but I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name yeah. So like Paul is called to suffer for the name sake of Christ. Yeah. Because announcing the good news to these groups of people is suffering. Mm-hmm. It's like requires ultimate patience, it requires sacrifice. It's just going to be so tough. And so Ananias then anyway. So that that was interesting. You got the laying on of hands. So yeah, Ananias does it. He goes to Saul, he finds him where God said he was going to be and says, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, that's also pretty cool, is know. he knows Saul's story without having to right. talk to him. Um, by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And something like scales falls from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. I mean, then he, was, he rose and was baptized. Yeah. So, I mean, everything is happening for Saul. Boom, he is, boom, boom. He is, uh, his scales, like the veil has fallen mm-hmm. from his eyes. And so now this is a big story because, I mean, it sets the rest of this, the New Testament up because most yes. of it is, is going to be through this character. Mm-hmm. And he tells his story, I think, two more times in the book of Acts. So we'll hear it again because immediately then, um, immediately is the word. He starts then going to Jesus. And I think it's like a really kind of soft to me, it feels soft. It's like a soft, vulnerable moment in chapter 
9, verse 20, where Saul then, Paul, goes immediately to the synagogue and he goes, he is the son of God. Hmm. And, and so what I'm thinking is, and everyone's response is, of course, confused. Isn't this the guy who hates people who claim that? Anyway, yeah. it's immediate confusion. Mm-hmm. But I just imagine this, this well-meaning, like all-in kind of zealous guy. I have that in me. I have that, that part of me. And I know when you've heard something true and you go to tell people and they're like, no, I still don't agree with you. You're like, no, but this is what you need to know. Yeah. I remember, like, I've had several moments in my life when I realized how deeply connected and committed to theological things people are because I learned something and it broke their theology. And who knows if I'm right or they're right, but I just remember the negative response. And I feel like Paul at this point is shocked that he just figured, I was one of you, so now listen to me. I'm being honest. And you would have thought, they're like, really? Seriously? You're like a wickedly smart student? We trust you. Okay, and he, he found out something hard. When you're moving into life, all the people you thought were going to go with you, yeah, they don't. They don't. In fact, they, don't they now want to kill you. Yeah. They, in fact, when you are trying to push into something that's life-giving, your eyes have opened, and all the people who have been your friends, it's not that they're against you. They're just, they, the scales haven't fallen from their eyes yet, and you can't make them. Yeah. And so uh, Paul wakes up to that hardcore reality. And then, uh, as a result, has to have his first escape. They want to kill him. So the disciples there help him to escape, escape through an opening in the wall by lowering him in a basket. So right away, it's like, from day one, <laughs> it has started for sweet Saul. Yeah. And so then what happens is, um, they have to. he goes to Jerusalem, but no one wants to meet with him. Yeah, he's trying to join the disciples trying to meet up because he's like let's go back to the starting place i'm with you guys and so barnabas and everyone's like nope 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 barnabas nope. is, this is a trick guy. Yeah. yeah but i like barnabas and mm-hmm. i kind of minister myself after bar i like that I, that model of ministry barnabas is a levi so the levite though levi. is like yeah. taking him in yeah. saying let's give him a shot guys and so he becomes like the he's he vouches for Saul. It's like the city of refuge but um and meanwhile so it kind of ends there right mm-hmm um, so the church, it's going through all this. They're seeking to kill them again. Well, they do. Um, so Barnabas vouches for them, and they figure out, like, oh, he really is with us. He annoys, he gets some more people stirred up in yeah. Jerusalem, so they send him back to Tarsus, which is his hometown. And they send him back there, and I think he's there for, like, a year. Yeah. Like, Saul and now Galatians just, talks about it might be like three years or something. Yeah, he's now like kind of just sent off back to hometown and yeah. be like, hey man, just like get centered, figure out who you are, and and then we'll figure out. There's what some next random to do verse we'll we'll hit, but a random verse about that because I know that the model for seminary is the disciples three years with mm-hmm. Jesus, but also they say Saul Paul went away for three years. Yes. Anyway, so who knows. Um, so it, the church continues to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Then I feel like at the the last part of chapter nine is this, and even into ten, what we'll get to today, is kind of going back to, oh, meanwhile yes. that happened, mm-hmm. but meanwhile back around Peter, yes, there's amazing outpouring of healing, yes, to the point where, well, Peter's going, people are kind of going to him wherever he goes. So there's uh, a man named. Aeneas, and he's been bedridden for eight years. He's paralyzed. And Peter just walks in and says his name and says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. 
So immediately he rose, and like everyone in that area is turning to the Lord. So mm-hmm. I noticed that Peter now is really walking in confidence yeah. and boldness that he definitely didn't have uh, not too long ago when mm-hmm. Jesus was um, on earth. And so that's cool. And you see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But then there's an even greater work. And I think these things are listed to show us that like Christ is gone, but, but he's his, here. But his work is still Yeah, he's continuing. still working, just like he promised. Mm-hmm. The power of the Holy Spirit is his presence with us. Mm-hmm. And so then there's another story about a great saint, Dorcas. Mm-hmm. And uh, she dies. Mm-hmm. And everyone calls. They're like, Peter's in town. Why don't we call him? And so Peter shows up. He does what I think he just does what he heard from Jesus or what he saw Jesus do. Yeah, because he saw his mother-in-law raised like this. Yeah, and there's someone else too, another girl, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he, so Peter's like, well, I saw Jesus. And this is how we do things mm-hmm. in the church. I mean, it's like, oh, I was with a pastor and I saw this and I'm going to try it. Yeah. So Peter says, clear out. Everyone clear out of the room. And then uh, he knelt down and prayed and he just said, arise. Mm-hmm. And she opened her eyes. She saw she was raised from the dead. And everybody's like, what? And I do like that uh, Tabitha or Dorcas, yeah. her ministry was making clothes for widows. Yeah, so cool. Oh, that was a cool She's little, a great saint. That's her little ministry that she, she does. She made clothes for widows. Well, uh, so what's cool is now I feel like that's kind of what's happening for Peter. Now we get to a point in the story. So we were introduced to Dave, or Saul. And this, yeah. And so he's being commissioned to go, but some, there's a new commissioning for Peter in this mm-hmm. section, right? Yeah, so Peter, really, all of these cities and all these places have still been within Israel proper, and he's still been ministering to mostly Jewish people. Right. And so now we start to see a shift for Peter, and now Peter is going to be pushed outside of his comfort zone. Yeah, because the big question is, Jesus says, to the uttermost parts of the world, but we got a lot of logistical issues. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do with the law? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is good. It's God's will. Like, but we have the ceremonial law. We have the the eating laws, like the dietary law, like mm-hmm. all these things of clean and unclean. Yeah. What are we gonna do? And they're not even thinking about that yet because they don't even know that. I mean, I think they're amazed that God mm-hmm. is restoring Samaria. Right. To be honest, like right. the people yeah. they counted as half breeds and mm-hmm. the worst. But now they're starting to see. They never once mm-hmm. thought about, like, the... It's like never once thought about the Canaanites, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what is going to happen? And so you see God here and the Holy Spirit setting the stage with leaders first. Yeah. Like, there's a major shift, and here's how it's going to go down. So Peter is um, hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house. Which is already kind of a shift for right. Peter, because a tanner works dead animals, so therefore he's constantly unclean. And so the fact that he's staying at that house would make Peter ceremonially unclean. And then you have, uh, I I forgot to mention, Cornelius, who's a Gentile, who's a total God-fearer. He prays all the time. He has a vision. All of a sudden, it's like, I've heard your prayers. Yes. Like, and I'm sending you a man. And so in a vision, he's told where Peter is. Yes. And then you have Peter who goes up to pray around 3 o'clock. He's up there praying, and he gets the most crazy vision mm-hmm. he could have ever imagined, which is, you know, all these animals 
descend from the sky. And all these unclean animals yes. descend, and then God says, Peter, kill and eat. Mm-hmm. And Peter, of course, being zealous, just like Peter, is like, I'll never let you die. Mm-hmm. I will never let you wash my body. I will never kill these animals. They're dirty. I've never eaten an unclean thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And then God has to do it three times. Which is always the number for Peter. Right. So, yeah. Three times mm-hmm. the rooster crows. Three times you feed my sheep. I love you. Yeah. Three times he calls little, was it Samuel? Um, anyway, three times. And the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Mm-hmm. I'm changing these things. Mm-hmm. What? Peter was inwardly perplexed. Yes. Um, he had no idea what this was all going to mean, but what we know, and then, so the rest of what we read for today's reading is this Cornelius's guys, three men, three men show up. Yeah. Peter was told they would show up mm-hmm. and it, the Holy Spirit is aligning this meeting. Yes. But he's, God's preparing Peter for the meeting and it's a huge shift because this is where God is saying to Peter, what I have made clean do not, um, what did you yeah, say? What, what God I, has made clean, do not call common. So what God is making clean is people. Yeah. So people who don't have the same dietary laws, they're not going to be made clean or separate by how they eat. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not putting that on them anymore. Right. They're going to be made clean by their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give them new hearts through the work, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter. Can you handle that? And it takes three times, but Peter's hearing this, he's perplexed, and what we'll see is he'll see unclean people being made clean by the power of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. This is the the cleaning process, that Christ will keep the law. So the law is still important, Mm -hmm. but see, we spend our lives trying to figure out and in fact, we'll, we'll deal more with this in Acts, but there's the council trying to go, who's in and who's out? Mm-hmm. Do we throw away the Old Testament? No, 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 no. The Old Testament is good. But mm-hmm. Jesus has fulfilled everything in the Old Testament, and he's making all things clean, and those who call upon his are clean. So do not call them common. Do not discount them. Yes. Awesome. Today I'm going to read Psalm chapter 73 verse 24 through 28. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Boom. You just got fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.